My name is, is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And just thinking through, uh, it's kind of crazy. We launched two months ago. Do you guys realize it's been two months already? Right? Yeah, some, there's excitement. There's excitement. Um, until I tell you the next piece. Two months ago, we had balloons out in the lobby. We had donuts on the tables. Now the excitement, you're like, yeah, where are the donuts? What happened to the donuts? You hooked us with the donuts, and we'll bring them back for something. Okay, I promise. But got me thinking about time. Right? Time is such a weird thing. And as a parent, uh, I use this phrase often when speaking to other people. I say, the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah, other parents in here as well, right? The days are long, but the years are short. They seem to just be flying by. And that didn't used to be the case, right? The years didn't used to be short. I remember growing up thinking that it took forever to get to summer. Once summer came, that meant that my little sister and I could go to Washington to see my dad, right? My parents were divorced, and we spent summers with my dad. And it felt like it took forever to get to summer. Time was different than it is now. I remember growing up thinking that I will never be able to drive a car. I will never turn 16 years old. And then sure enough, 20 years ago, I turned 16 years old. Some of you do math real quick. I'll pause. Okay, we'll continue with the illustration. 20 years ago, I turned 16. And I got a cell phone. I didn't even get a car. Thanks, Mom. Okay, no. I ended up getting my mom's 1992 Pontiac Grand Am. Woo! Yeah, who's excited? Who's excited to turn 16? Exactly. But I thought that it would never happen. I remember wanting so badly to move out of the house. Right? What does it look like to be independent, to be responsible, to be on my own? Right? All these things that, when I was in the moment, seemingly were so far off. And here I am in my mid to late 30s with three kids, an old dog, and the love of my life. Right? Just plugging through life, chugging through life. And if I, if I look back at those different things, right, reminiscing over the, the past and trying to wrap my mind around time, all of these things fade away, right? At this point, I can go see my dad at any point that I want to. I don't have to wait till summer. And we're actually closer now because he still lives in Washington and we are up here in Idaho, right? And that, that car, that 1992 Pontiac Grand Am, that thing is dead and gone. And no, whose fault is it? It's mine, okay? As an adult, I can admit, tell my mom, it's my fault. When I was 16, 17, 18 years old, I wouldn't admit that. No, it was a piece of junk before he gave it to me. <laughs> nope, I didn't drive it very well, okay? But that thing's done. And as far as moving out of the house, as wonderful as that moment was, there are days that I wish I was still the kid, right? Just wasting time, doing nothing, making a, a pile of leaves and jumping in it, right? I, when was the last time we did that? I don't know because they're covered in snow. We can't do that, Okay. Anyway, you might be wondering, why am I talking about time? Why am I bringing this up? And I'm glad you asked that question, okay? It actually comes up in our passage today. So let me read to you the passage we're going to be studying through. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter. We are in chapter 1, and what we get to do is we get to close out the end of this chapter, okay? Verse 22 through 25. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, right? And so we see that 
all flesh is like grass, and the grass withers, the flower falls. Or to put it in the words of Solomon, who is the wisest man to ever live next to Jesus, he says that everything is meaningless. Right? If you've read Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless. Welcome to Redeemer Church. Maybe this is your first time here. Everything is meaningless. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll have a great week, okay? Um, no, I, I'm kidding with the joke. I'm not kidding with so many things in life fade away. So many things are meaningless. And so what I want to do is I wanted to start with this and begin to work our way back as we unpack this passage this morning, right? Using Peter's words to remind us, or, or better yet, refocus us this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I can get, and I often do get so distracted with anything, with everything. And some of you out there are like, yeah, we know you, you do. It's okay, keep your judgment to yourself, okay? Don't, don't worry. It's a window into my life so that there's a mirror into yours, okay? Sheesh, my goodness. Yes, I can get distracted with a lot of different things, and I need to begin to place these things in their proper order, right? And you might say, you know what, if this is the case, everything fades away, everything's meaningless, then it seems like life is pretty hopeless. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it is, right? It is hopeless. But as we know from the past few weeks, for those of us that have given our lives to Christ, this is not the case. Our lives are anything but hopeless. We have been given an unfading hope, right? We've been chosen by God. We have an inheritance that awaits us in heaven, And not only that, but the power of God is going to carry us through to the end. And so if this is the case, there's no amount of of pain, there's no amount of suffering, there's no trial that is going to take away our hope. We get to spend eternity with Christ. And I want us to be reminded of this this morning. And in, in doing so, refocus our minds upon what really matters, what really lasts, right? Hopefully, we, we refocus upon God, his word, and people's souls, right? That's what's going to last forever. God, his word, and people's souls. So let's go ahead and, and pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity just to unpack the end of, of 1 Peter chapter 1. God, I ask that you would open our minds, you would open our hearts, uh, that the words that come from my mouth would be your words that you would show us uh, this command that Peter is wanting to share with us, and God, that we would live it out each and every day. We love you, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So as we begin to unpack this passage today, I want to remind us of a few things, right? Peter is writing to Christians, Christians who have been exiled, and Christians who need hope, right? We too are exiles, and we too need hope. And so as we've worked through this chapter, Peter has given us three commandments, all right? I'm going to give them to you. Don't worry. It's not a pop quiz. You don't need to answer them. I'm going to give them to you right here, okay? Uh, Verse 13, Peter says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? So we we are meant to set our hope on Christ. He goes on in verse 15, says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, right? We are meant to be holy as God is holy. Lastly, verse 17, Peter says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, right? In verse 17, the command is to live our lives in fear of the Lord, right? And if we're, we're honest, these commands look wildly different from the world. And they're, they're meant to, 
our lives as Christians, as followers of Christ, as little Christ, are meant to look different from the world, right? The world does not set their hope on Christ. The world does not strive to live a life that is holy and blameless. The world does not fear God and absolutely does not understand this idea of intimacy that we have with our heavenly Father. All right, listen to what Paul says in in Romans 8, verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? Abba, Father. This idea of intimacy, this idea of closeness with God because we have been adopted into God's family. What I want to do for a second is I just want to pause. If you're a father in here, right, chances are you understand what this looks like. Have you ever been somewhere where um, your kids are there and a lot of their friends are around, right? Maybe it's at one of their sporting events, a practice or a game. Maybe it's at a birthday party. Maybe you get home from work and you pull in your driveway and there's all these kids playing basketball in your driveway, whatever that looks like, right? In those moments, I have been called a lot of different things. I have been called Mr., I've been called Mr. Travis. I've been called Mr. Dutton. I've been called coach. I've been called sir. I've been called teacher, pastor, neighbor, right? True story, years ago, uh, my wife's grandpa, before he passed away, he sent us a Christmas card, right? And it was really great. It was, it was very kind and considered all these things that he wrote to us, uh, hoping that we would have this great year, blah, blah, all these things. And at the top, it said, Brittany and and there was this blank, and there was a comma, and all these great little things, right? He wrote us a Christmas card, and he forgot my name. Because I think he went, I'm going to write it, and I'm going to go back. What's that guy's name? I'm going to go back and fill it in. He never went back and filled it in. He mailed it to us. So I've even been addressed as nothing, okay? It happens. To go back to the story with my kids, in this moment when I show up to their practice, or I show up at home, and there's kids around the driveway, I show up to pick them up at a birthday party. There are only three little boys that have ever called out to me in a certain way. There's only three boys that say, Dad. There's only three boys that say, Dada. Only three boys that say, Daddy. Right? My, my youngest calls me Daddy. My middle calls me Dada. Maybe it's the mullet. I don't know. My oldest calls me Dad. Right? He's getting there. He's getting there. What I want you to understand is that this term bears witness to the relationship that we have, right? And so as we cry out, Abba, Father, it bears witness to the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. The world does not understand this. The world does not know this, right? And so I'm so grateful that that John took time to understand what it looks like to fear the Lord, right? It's not this idea that we are running from Him in fear, but rather we're running to Him as our Father, as closeness and intimacy continues to develop, right? And so up until this point, Peter is, these commands, if you think about it, if you look at it, they are commands that have to do with us and our relationship with God, right? And now he's going to shift and turn into commands that have to do with us and relationships with others. And this shouldn't surprise us. This happens other places in scripture. The Ten Commandments do this, right? What are the Ten Commandments? I'm kidding. Not Not a pop quiz. The the first four commandments and the Ten Commandments have to do with us and our relationship with God. The next six have to do with us and our relationship with others, right? Jesus does something similar in Matthew 22 when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul and all your mind. And he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So it's wildly important, our relationship with God, but it's also incredibly important, our relationship with one another, right? So let's go back to our passage and see how Peter does this and what the command is that he gives to us, okay? In, in verse 22, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, honestly, in these two verses, there is so much. And all I'm going to be able to do is merely scratch the surface. Somebody uh, last week, it was a compliment, but he was like, you kind of geek out and you nerd out about how the passage you have is so important. And I'm like, thanks, I think, right? It really is. These two verses carry so much weight. And so let's just try to scratch the surface and unpack them a little bit. Okay, but the first thing that we need to understand is our first fill-in. We have to understand that we have been commanded to love one another. We've been commanded to love one another. And this might sound simple, but to, to be honest, it's not always easy, right? It can sound simple, but it's not always easy. Just, just think about your life for a second. Are, are there people that you struggle to get along with? Are there people, yeah, I heard a laugh. Huh, yep. <laughs> Are there people maybe even here at the church that you've already been hurt by? There's already been struggles. There's already been miscommunication, right? Maybe they didn't do what you thought they were going to do. Maybe they didn't say something how you hoped they would have said it. Maybe they didn't show up for that thing. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. It, it's so easy to, to talk about, and it might seem so simple to love one another, but it's really, really hard to put it into practice. And I could sit here and I can give us all kinds of different ways in which we can love one another, right? But chances are we, we already know how to love one another. We just need to do that more often than we do, right? Or do it better than we do. Think about how you would want to be loved. How would you want to be communicated with and go communicate with somebody that way? How would you want to be forgiven for, for a mistake that you made? Go forgive somebody that way, right? Philippians 2 talks about being interested in what other people are interested in. Right? Are you interested in what she's interested in? Are you interested in what they're interested in? Right? Take an interest. It might not be the coolest thing to you, but it's so important to them. That's going to be a way in which you love. Right? I love that we are um, having devoted to serve this evening, where we are giving and we are serving. Right? Give. Serve. Jesus showed us what that looks like. Right? I want you to look around for, for a second. Just look around at everybody. Go ahead. You guys are like, okay, I am. No, you can do it. Look around. Do you have a, a brotherly love for others around you? Do you have a love that says we're family for others around you? My hope is that you do. My hope is that I do. Right? The kicker is I, I don't know everybody in here. And you might say, oh, that's, that's unrealistic. No, I really do. I really do want to get to know others here. And I want to do life with you. I want to have memories with you, Right? I want to talk about things that we've done. I want to have our children grow up together, just looking around at different people, right? And I hope that you want that with, with my family and I as well and with those around you as well. Right here, the, the sad thing is that oftentimes, um, one of the painful facts of life is that people don't always get, get along. And even as, as John talked about a couple weeks ago, that we are meant to be people of hope and people of holiness, right? Chances are we're not always going to walk in harmony. 
And that's unfortunate because from God's point of view, it shouldn't be that. It should be different, right? There's one body. Listen to what it says in, in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unfortunately, from our point of view, right, there, there's division. The big C church feels divided, right? And, and chances are maybe even after two months, Redeemer Church can feel divided in some, some ways. But what I want us to do is I want us to refocus and say, what is most important? important. This needs to triumph over everything else. That's our relationship with Jesus. That needs to triumph over everything that causes division, right? When I think about the the early church, uh, I think about Acts chapter 2, and there's a passage that says that the church was together and had everything in common, right? They're selling possessions and giving to people who have needs, but it says they had everything in common, and I always think, I'm like, you have everything in common? You guys root for the same sports teams? You guys all care that the World Cup is being played around Thanksgiving? You you guys are like, I don't, I don't even know. I don't care about that. I don't know that they had everything in common. I think they had the most important thing in common. And the most important thing was everything. Does that make sense? Their relationship with Christ was the most important thing. That was everything to them. And they had everything in common. I want that to be the case for us. Right? I think Peter is wanting to remind us, remember what you were. You were a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And remember what Christ did. He shed his blood to redeem you from that sin, right? This is what matters the most. This is where our spiritual unity comes from, right? This idea that we are children of the same family. I I talk to my boys all the time about not hurting your relationship now. That it's going to break my heart if when they're adult men, they're not friends. It will break my heart. And so I try to talk to them often. I say, don't do that. Don't hurt your relationship later because of something right now that doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. You're eight years old. You're 10 years old. Who cares about fruit snacks, right? How much more do you think God cares about our relationships with one another? We're going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ. We are going to spend eternity together in heaven, right? Don't you think he cares about the way in which we interact with one another, the way in which we love one another, right? Yes, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also this idea of unconditionally, right? And as as Peter shares this idea of love, he he says that we're meant to have a sincere brotherly love, right? This, This is selfless, a selfless giving love, right? Self-centered people don't understand what love is. They don't understand how to love, And God's love and his forgiveness frees us to take our eyes off of ourselves and look to the needs of others, right? Potentially even sacrificing for the needs of others. Jesus understood this. In in Mark chapter 10, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? By sacrificing his life, Christ showed us that he truly loves us. He didn't just say it. He showed it. And, And so maybe we would be a church that loves one another sacrificially. That I'm not just going to say it, but I'm going to show it, right? I'm going to show you how I love you. Peter said in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And this is our, our second fill-in because I know you guys are all taking notes. 
Second fill-in, we must love with a pure heart. A A pure heart means that we are loving one another from a transformed heart. My heart is not is not pure. My heart is wicked. If there's anything pure in it, it's because God has transformed it and God is in the process of transforming it. Right? And so that's the heart in which we are to love one another. I'm not meant to love one another because it's my duty, right? Well, I only do that because I have to do it. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. I'm not loving people because of these motives. Well, I'm going to love you because it's going to mean this later. I'm going to love you and I'm going to get that in return. No, I'm going to love you from a pure heart, from a heart that's being transformed by the power of God. And Peter actually uses two different words to, to walk through this love. And I want to talk about those to kind of help us understand, right? When he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, it's this word for love is phileo, right? If you think about the city Philadelphia, what is Philadelphia known as? The city of brotherly love. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? Does it feel very loving? No. <laughs> so it's not a description of it. No, it's literally what it need, what the name means, right? And I'm kidding. If you're watching from Philadelphia, I've been to Philadelphia. They're really great people. It's just a joke, okay? But Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love, phileo, brotherly love. But he goes on. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, right? Earnestly is this idea of loving one another with everything that we have, from a heart that's been transformed. And the word for love that he uses here is agape, not phileo, agape. So love each other unconditionally. That's what that word means. Love each other unconditionally with everything that you have from a pure heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. See, God has taught us how to love one another. But even so, there's always room to grow. We should continue to grow in our love for one another, the way in which we show this love, right? But the the fact that Peter uses this word agape is so significant, right? And there's a reason why. I want to show, show you why Peter says you have to love each other unconditionally. If we were to turn a few chapters to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, he says this. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, right? Keep loving other people with everything that you have. Since love, agape, unconditional love, covers a multitude of sins, Right? We have to get this right. We have to do better at this. We have to love unconditionally, sacrificially, because our love for one another is going to cover a multitude of sins. Right? Chances are there's someone in here that maybe has hurt you. Chances are even greater there's someone in here that is going to hurt you. Right? Maybe in the past two months you've already experienced that of Redeemer. Maybe in the next 10 years you'll experience this. Right? We have to understand this idea of loving one another unconditionally because it's going to cover these hurts and these sins. See, you and I have a great opportunity. We have a great opportunity to set the trajectory of what love looks like in this church. Right? Is this church going to be better in a year from now because of the ways in which we've loved one another? Is this church going to feel different five years from now 
because you've been loved unconditionally? Is this church going to be different in our community a decade from now? Because this love, this unconditional love, has covered a multitude of sins, a multitude of struggles, of shortcomings, of quick responses, of hurts, of whatever that might look like. My hope is that it is. It is going to look different, but that that rests on us. We get to set the trajectory of what this is going to look like going forward, right? And, And I get it. Loving others can seem hard. And now you say, Travis, you're telling me that I'm supposed to love people unconditionally. That's not only hard, that's impossible. And what if I said, no, it's not? You'd say, you're a liar. And I say, that's not loving. No, it's not impossible. Peter's going to show us in verse 23 that it is possible. He's going to show us how we're meant to do it. Right, here's what he says in verse 23. This is the only way, the only way that this is going to happen. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, through the spirit of God and the word of God, we have been born again. We have to allow the imperishable seed that was placed inside our hearts, coupled with the abiding word of God, to be what carries us through this command, right? And, and this is our last fill-in, our third fill-in. Our love comes from the, li- the living and abiding word of God, right? We are commanded to love one another. Our love needs to be from a pure heart, and this love comes from the living and abiding word of God, right? Peter's reminding his readers, he's reminding us today that we are to be obedient to the truth, Right? being obedient to the truth, being born again, and by this living and abiding word of God, this is going to be how we love one another, right? Meaning that since there's a moment in the past where you gave your life to Christ, right, there are abiding or enduring consequences today. And you think of the word consequence and you think that's a bad word. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. There are good consequences, there are bad consequences, right? If you just experience bad consequences, then you need to change your behavior. I feel like I'm talking to my children right now, okay? There are good consequences. Is, is there something in your life that there was a moment one time that has abiding consequences or enduring consequences today? Right? Think about a, a job interview years ago. You sat in this job interview, and today you still have that job. There's a moment, and there's something that has continued to endure from it. Does that make sense? I remember in December of 2016, I had a phone call. I had an interview Um, with this guy. He was an elder at this church called Rock Harbor up in Idaho, right? And we were supposed to FaceTime, but something happened. He's like, I can't FaceTime. And I don't know if it's because he just really doesn't know how to FaceTime. His name's John Link, okay? (laughs) Don't know what what the reason was, but I had this interview with John Link in 2016, six years ago. And, And I remember he told me something significant. He said, I'm half Korean and half Irish, And I thought to myself, can we please FaceTime? I want to know what that looks like, (laughs) right? Anyway, we never ended up FaceTiming. But this was before he found out all the Jewishness in in his heritage. There was a moment in 2016 that has had enduring consequences today. Here we are six years later getting to plant a church together, right? Think think about your, your marriage or your wedding. I talked to a friend the other day. He said, my wife and I have been married for 41 years. And I thought, I don't even know what 41 years looks like, right? How incredible. That's something that I hope for my life, for my wife and I, that we'll get to celebrate 41 years someday. Right? I, I remember my wedding, right? This, this moment in time that has had enduring consequences today. 
I remember getting a, a tuxedo, right? This is what you used to do back then. You ordered a tuxedo from like the mall. I don't know what people do now. I'm grateful that I grew up a little bit older, so there aren't promposals, there aren't gender reveals, there isn't all this pressure to do life and to do it big on Instagram, right? I don't know. I rented a tuxedo from the mall, me and all my guys. We show up the day of the wedding, put our tuxedos on. My stepdad, mind you, has already got his suit tuxedo on whatever because he like wakes up, he did his hair, I'm dressed and he's ready to go. Not me. I'm still trying to wake up even it's 1117. I'm trying to wake up right now. My stepdad is ready. I'm getting ready. And I realize I have no socks in my package of, of the tuxedo. And I think, oh my gosh, I have no socks. I'm the groom. I got to have socks. This is before I wore skinny jeans and boots. I needed socks. Okay. And so my stepdad says, you know what? I'll head to the pro shop and I'll go get some socks for you. I said, thank you so much. He probably went there to go work on his golf game a little bit, but I trusted him. Okay. He shows up. He says, all they have is navy blue. And he kind of looked at me like, sorry, bud. And I said, then put them on and give me your black socks. I'm the groom, right? I still remember this. So my stepdad takes off his socks and he gives me his sweaty black socks so that I have black socks for our pictures. But I remember that moment in time and it has had enduring consequences today. Celebrating 14 years of marriage, having three kids, two dogs, a a starter home, a house build and a house fire, right? Having vacations, having all kinds of memories right? Giving testimony to that moment, right? This is the same idea with our relationship with Christ. And so I have to pause for a second. I have to ask you a question. Do you have that moment in time? Do you have the moment in time that has then had enduring consequences, abiding consequences, that you gave your life to Christ and now look where God has you, Right? If you've not had this moment, if you've not experienced this moment, you're not going to understand what we're talking about. You're not going to be able to step into what it looks like to love unconditionally because you've not received the unconditional love that God has for you. And so what I want to encourage you to do is have a conversation with somebody. Have a conversation with somebody who brought you, with somebody you look up to, right? and say, what does it look like to give my life to Christ? What does it look like to surrender my life to Christ? All right, so be, because of this idea that the word of God was preached, you gave your life to Jesus, and today you continue to persevere, right? That coupled with the idea that the the truth of God is heard and then it's put into practice, this is where we find love and how we're able to share it. Christian love is born through the truth of the gospel and the obedience to the truth of God's word. And as we understand this, we should be able to love one another. Because what has been born within us is eternal, right? It's imperishable. It does not fade. It will not die. This is how we're meant to love one another. If we try to do this in our own strength, we won't do it. All over the world, people try to take a step toward unity, and and they don't have it in their strength to do. The only way that we are going to step toward unity is through the strength that God has given us, through what is eternal that lives inside of us, not through our our physical earthly selves, but the new birth that has taken place inside of our hearts, right? The transforming of our hearts. That's what this unity is going to be built upon. The only reason, like I said, that I can love is because I was first loved by God. I was loved with an unconditional love. I was loved with an eternal love. And we need to love in such a way. Peter finishes this, this chapter by saying, All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
And this word is the good news that was preached to you, right? Ultimately, everything will pass away. And this is in direct contrast to the living and abiding word of God, right? The word of God will never pass away. And that's why the gospel is so powerful, right? God, his word, and people's souls. The word of God will never pass away. And that's why it's one of our cornerstones here at Redeemer, right? Passionate proclamation of the word of God. This will always be the case, always be the case for our church. Do we, do we hope to have reverent worship? Yes. Do we hope to, to grow in community with one another? Absolutely. Do we want to train our children in the way of the Lord and the way that they should go? Yes. But I promise there is no substitute for the word of God in our lives. There's no substitute for the word of God here at this church. In this section, as Peter is talking about everything fading away, he actually quotes the Old Testament. And this is not new. Peter quotes the Old Testament a lot, but he quotes Isaiah 40, right? Isaiah 40 is significant. And in that time, it would have been wildly significant, right? Let me, let me share with you why, okay? Um, Isaiah 40 is written to exiles who are needing to be reminded of their hope in the Messiah. Peter is writing to exiles who need to be reminded of their hope in the Messiah. We today are exiles who need to be reminded of our hope in the Messiah. Does that make sense? Uh, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. And so it's kind of been likened to this Bible in miniature form, right? There are two different sections of the book of Isaiah. The first section has 39 chapters. Our Bibles, Old Testament, New Testament, the Old Testament has 39 books, right? And I'm going to give you something that you can share with your mom at the dinner table tonight, okay? What did you learn today, sweetie? Here you go. Here's your moment, okay? The word old has three letters. The word testament has nine. Three, nine. Thirty-nine books in the Old Testament. Ta-da. You're welcome, okay? New Testament, you're like, well, what's going to happen now? The word new has three letters. The word testament has nine. Three times nine is what? Twenty-seven. I get it. It's 1120. You're like, I don't know math. Twenty-seven books in the New Testament. 39 plus 27, 66. Go share with your mom tonight at dinner, okay? You learned something new. The 39, first 39 um, chapters in Isaiah talk about judgment, judgment for God's chosen people. And as Isaiah 40 begins, starts to talk about hope, hope in the Messiah to come, right? In Isaiah's day, they looked forward to the Messiah. In our day, we look back to the Messiah, right? Jesus came. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for my sins and for your sins. Jesus died. Jesus rose again, right, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day we get to look forward to Jesus coming back to ultimately provide comfort to each and every one of us, right? And and so God is the source of, of hope in Isaiah's day. God is the source of hope in Peter's day. And God is the source of hope in our time today, this message from Isaiah, it's, it's the message of the gospel, right? The hope in the Messiah. And so God's word should be so precious to us. And I think in this moment, as Peter is writing, he quotes Isaiah 40, they would have understood there's something different. There's hope in the Messiah. Today, I hope you feel, I hope you sense there's something different. There's hope in the Messiah. Wherever you find yourself today, whatever you find yourself struggling through, whatever you find yourself worried about, whatever you find yourself bitter over, whatever you find yourself aching over, whatever the case is, there's hope in the Messiah. 
Right? There are many different pains in this world. Relationally, mentally, physically, emotionally, so many different pains. But I promise you the gospel is greater than any of them. The hope in the Messiah is greater than anything that is here today and gone tomorrow, right? It's all going to fade. The, the gospel does not fade. The word of God does not fade. Right? As, as we've gone through this verse and we've kind of contrasted eternal and earthly, perishable and imperishable, what I want to do is I want to read something from Paul's writings, Colossians chapter 3. I just want to read the beginning. You guys can follow along. I want you to think about these words. I want you to, to hear these, these words that he shares as we contrast this idea of imperishable and perishable, eternal and earthly. Okay, here's what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? Set your hearts on things above. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in heaven. This is what Peter is getting at. This is what Peter is wanting to remind us. And as we do so, we understand better how to love one another. As talking with my wife uh, sometime back, and, and just this idea that life is brief. In, in the grand scheme of things, life is a vapor. Our lives interact with, with five to seven generations. Think about this for a second. We have grandparents, right? That generation. My parents and that generation, aunts and uncles, that. My generation, my siblings, my cousins, my children, that generation, my grandchildren. That's five generations. 
If we're lucky, maybe we had relationships with our great-grandparents, so there's a sixth. And if you're really fortunate, maybe you'll have relationships with your great-grandkids. That's a seventh. Chances are, in two to three generations, no one is going to know that I existed. Right? And I, I say this, I share this not to bring you down, but to say, lift your eyes. Look at eternal things. Don't get stuck in the day-to-day, distracted with all these things of life. Pick your head up, right? I hope you're not discouraged with me saying that. Like I said, two to three generations, no one's going to know. So is there really something that's worth my time, worth my energy? Yes, there are things that will last forever. God will last forever. His word will last forever. People's souls will last forever. And so it's wildly important that we understand how to love one another. It's important that we, we understand the idea of loving each other as a family with brotherly love and also stepping toward loving one another unconditionally, knowing that that is going to cover a multitude of sins, a multitude of hurts. Right? And so that's my hope today is that we've been refocused upon the love of Christ and how we're meant to walk that out in our lives. Let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for an opportunity to close out 1 Peter chapter 1, just as we understand the command to love one another. God, I want to be reminded of who I was, a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And God, I want to be reminded of what you did for me. You sacrificed your life for me. You took my sin upon yourself so that I might be able to have a relationship with you, so that I might spend eternity in heaven with you. God, I ask that we would be a church that would understand what it looks like to love one another. God, I ask that we would be a church that understands what it looks like to be loved by one another. God, that we would love unconditionally, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would forgive one another. Ultimately, that we would would love you. We We would share your love with one another. And in doing so, look completely different to the world. God, I thank you so much for the hope, the unfading hope that we have in you. The unfading hope that we have in you as our Messiah. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray.